I on? All right. Thank you, praise team. Thank you all for the wonderful passion you put in everything for us. So it's a glorious day today, isn't it? I feel the Holy Spirit's been with us today. I believe he's been knocking on the door for the last uh, few days. And so I was talking in a... Our Sunday school group today, you know, I have this goal in bowling. You know, it's not the, well, it's to break 200 finally, but, you know, it's really to break a pin, you know. So I'm going to see what I could do today with the Holy Spirit's help. I'm popping a speaker. So we'll see how far that goes today. So, and it's probably not going to go too far because we got a great sound system, you know. So, uh, something that's been heavy on my mind over the last couple of years, really, is is being intentional, you know, in what we do as a Christian, as what we do as parents, as what we do as fellow believers. And, you know, we can look at Second Peter, you know, verse or chapter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, you know. And what does that really mean to us? What does that mean to add to your faith? You know, there's there's many different aspects of this, and and my my prayer today really is for us to look at that and and really understand what's going on. And I pray that the God fills you fully with this. So, with the Lord's conviction on this, and I'm going to speak His word for us and bring this message to you: the message of being intentional. Because that's what we have to do as Christians. So, And each of us has stood at the crossroads of the sinner. Have we not? We've all been at that point of believing or not believing. Will we ever come to believe or will we fall back where we were? You know, you have the broad road, you know, the wages of sin and death. Or we have the new road, the king's highway, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. And, you know, Paul put it plainly, very plainly, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And there is nothing sweeter yet more costly than this gift of salvation. And Jesus shed his blood for us and did it so willingly, right? We've all been there. And there may be somebody here also today who, who is at that crossroads in their life. And that because of his willingness, we have the ability to make an intentional decision on whether we're going to live for Christ or we're not. And you know what? It's not possible to live for Christ unless we take deliberate steps to do so. And this brings to the question all of us really have, I think, after we've come to belief and giving faith and giving our heart to Jesus. What now? What do we do now? What happens after you believe? I know I've come across that question many times in my life. What happens now? What do I do, God? You know, and it reminds me really of a story that I've read about a man named James. And we're going to look at James a little bit today here. He's in his early 20s. You know, he, and he found Jesus through a friend, really, Going, who was going to a church service, to a meeting, and that, and and 
he decided to go along with him. He was invited. So he went. But through that meeting and through that little relationship he had with that friend, he found Jesus. Right? And he realized and repented and was washed new, feeling cleansed, rinsed out, and more alive than ever before. And over time, James learned a lot about God, as we all do. And he learned a lot about himself, yet he still questioned, what now? What am I here for? What am I here to do? I know that God loves me, as James said to himself, and he, that God wanted him to tell other people about this good news, right? Jesus told us, go out, share it. And obviously, everything came with a great promise that one day he would be with God forever. Our treasure in heaven. Right? Amen. I'm looking forward to that someday, just not today. So, And he talked with friends, you know, and people in the church about this. And all they could say was that, hey, you know what? God called some people to, our, to particular areas of Christian service. Some into full-time ministry, you know, pastoral ministry or to be teachers, or to be doctors, or missionaries, or some combination of these, and maybe some other similar tasks, right? But James had no sense that that was, any, that was for him. You know, he was getting ready to get a master's degree in computer science. You know, that's almost like 180 degrees difference from, you know, learning anything about the seminary about God, it seems like. So he didn't quite get, it's like, what am I here for? I'm getting, I'm studying computer science. This is where I'm excited about. I'm excited about zeros and ones and, you know, plugging things in and making sure they work, you know, making things sure things go. But am I basically going to be hanging around for a few decades waiting to die and to go to heaven? In the meantime, use some of my spare time to persuade other people to do the same. Anybody else thought that before? Was that really it? Is there anything else happening after you believe, as James thinking, before you finally die and go to heaven? You know, James was at a point in his journey with Jesus. He had been drinking milk. We've all drank that milk before. But he was really craving solid food. Doesn't Paul talk about that? Why are you still drinking milk when you should be eating solid food? You should be mature. And the writer of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 5, verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. And if we want to grow as Christians and mature our relationship with Jesus, we have to be intentional about it. There really is no other way. There isn't a way to grow in Jesus without being intentional about it. You know, but why is this so? Well, let's remember first here that we are saved from something, right? We are saved and Jesus rescues us from God's wrath directed at our sins. Number one. That's what Jesus has done. Number two. Second, we are saved for something. 
And Jesus saves us so that we can fulfill the primary purpose God has for us. But really, what is our primary purpose? What are we here for? And the very basic answer is to glorify God. We know that. By becoming genuine human beings reflecting the characteristic of Jesus in the image God intends for us. And this is done through the work of the Holy Spirit producing a transformation of character. And this is what Paul is saying in Colossians 3.20. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. In the image of its Creator. In the image. And also in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. It's a daily thing we're supposed to do. It's just not a Sunday. Right? And these qualities of characters that if we go back and look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, make all effort to add to your faith. What are we supposed to add? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Which Jesus and his first followers insist on as the vital signs of a healthy Christian life. Do you know a Christian without that kind of life? Can you be a Christian without that kind of life? Without those kind of qualities? You can be saved. But let's look at it a little bit different here. A healthy Christian life does not come automatically. We believe. We understand. We know Jesus died for us, was buried for us rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, taking the only man-made thing into heaven with them, the nail prints. The only man-made thing in heaven is the nail prints, right? Taking our sin upon him. We know that. But there's more after that. There's more of a Christian life than just believing. If we're to get back to the image we're supposed to be here, and it doesn't have come automatically, what do we have to do? We have to develop. We have to work at them. And you have to think about it. And to make conscious choices to allow the Holy Spirit to form your character in ways that to begin with, you know what, may seem awkward and unnatural. And we have to be intentional about this. We have to get out of with the comfort zone. I think we all have one, some more than others, you know. No matter what it is, we have to be intentional. And sometimes it starts with something small. You know, there's one lady whose name is uh, Ariana and had a coworker stop her in the hallway one day. And he asked her, why don't you like me? And she was you know, taken back saying, you know, I, what? I, I like you, but every time you would pass me in the hallway, you know, you'd give me this weird look, almost like a scowl, you know. I have that, I call it my concentration look. So, you know, it's like I'm thinking here, you know, and, and it's not an angry look, it's just a concentration look. You know, I have that, and I have to remember that. But she was thinking, this, I like you a lot, you know. 
And what she didn't realize is her serious look made people think she didn't like them. You know, even more so, she worried that her teenage son might feel the same. Like she was constantly judging him. That when he needed most was kindness and encouragement. And Ariana decided she needed to fix, she needed to reflect on the outside the love and joy she had on the inside. Isn't that what makes a true Christian attractive is who we are? The love coming through. The grace coming through here. So she found the next few days, you know, were not easy. She literally had to train herself to lighten up. And making a practice to smile at people at work, in public, and at home with her family. Because we forget that sometimes with our family. And on the third day of making sure she smiled at her 15-year-old son, he looked at her and said, What? (laughs) What? Come on. And what do you mean, you know, Ariana asked, why are you looking at me this way these days? You've never smiled at me before, you know? And she replied with, because I like you and I am proud of you. And, of course, how would a teenager respond? Ugh. Ugh. With, with an eye roll. You know, did, can you hear my eyes rolling out loud kind of thing, you know? But there was a smile behind that. You know, Ariana realized that sharing a genuine smile was a conscious, active choice she had to make. And for a while, she felt silly. But she found that having a joyful expression actually made her feel more joyful. And why wouldn't she, you know? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand... And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. And Ariana made an intentional decision to smile, planning to do this everywhere she was. Even though some may consider it a small thing, just a smile, it had a huge impact. Doesn't it? A smile goes a lot farther than a scowl with somebody. Love goes a lot farther than anger. But you know, if we could really learn two things from this story, it would be planning and commitment. And being intentional requires these two basic guides. Planning and commitment. Plan, commit. And first, let's talk about planning here a few minutes. The famous boxer Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, you know. And he would know, you know, I have a plan. I'm going to be world champion, you know, and there you go. But we all have plans or a plan for our life. And God has a plan for our lives also. The question is, Are our plans lining up with God's plans? Have we consulted God about our plans? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Isaiah 5, 19. The plan of the Holy One of Israel. Let it approach. Let it come into view. 
so we may now know it. So if God has plans for you, wouldn't he expect us to have plans that line up with his? God has a plan for you. Always had. Always will. And maybe your plan is, I plan to walk with the Lord. It's a great plan. All of us should be. And everyone has that plan, I believe, and I don't discount it by any means. I have that plan. To walk with the Lord day by day. To walk with us in consistency with Jesus. Being consistent with Him. And no matter if you're on the valley or on top of the mountain. For Jesus to be there. And He always is. But how do you plan to walk with the Lord? Have you really thought about that? How do you plan to walk with the Lord? Because we're told after we believe... You know, read the Bible. We'll get baptized. Read the Bible. Go to service. Join a Bible study. But what else beyond that? Because having that plan for your life is very important. Having a plan to walk with the Lord and have the Lord walk with you is important. And it's a great decision. But couldn't you make it more focused? You know, what I'm really trying to say here is if you have a plan, you have a goal. You can't have one without the other. It's just not possible. And if you want it to become a reality, you have a plan, you have a goal. You have a goal, you have a plan. You want it to be a reality, we have to make the decision to walk with the Lord. And if that is our goal, how do you plan to do it? In the story of James earlier, he was in a place in his walk with Jesus where the question of, what am I here for, kept coming up. You know, I knew a man in his 20s, when I was in the army years ago, in his 20s. He wanted to change himself. He wanted to grow. He got tired of being in the darkness, constantly in the darkness. Living a life of deceit, living a life of anger, looking to, to do anything he could. He decided to read the Bible one day, and he sat in the barracks for a couple weeks reading the Bible. That was what he did to stay out of the bars. That's what he did to want to change his life. He made a conscious decision to do that. However... He didn't know what to do after that. He gave his life, he said, to Jesus. I, I give my life to you, God. I give my life to you. I believe. But he didn't know what to do afterwards. And in the first person that realized that he was a Christian in a non-Christian setting, stood up to him and it broke him. It absolutely broke him. He went out even deeper into his sin. So we have to know what are we here to do? We have to know and have that plan and that goal that if you don't believe and you do, what now? What now? And with and with James, he didn't know what to do with God wanted for him on the uh, outside of salvation. Yet 
he made a decision wanting to deepen his faith and strengthen his relationship with Jesus. He wasn't looking to do works and justify his salvation by no means. What he wanted is to know more about Jesus and his purpose on earth. And if I can put it in even simpler terms, he wanted to be a friend of God. A friend of God. John fifteen fourteen, You are my friends if you do what I command. What does Jesus command? Love each other as I have loved you. And loving one another happens in community and inviting others to share in our, or join in your community expresses love, right? And because of the patient teaching and work of Christ, God has disclosed his character to the world, which happens through the Holy Spirit working in and through us developing the proper Christian character into a habit. A habit rooted in Christ that directs us and how to react to situations. I think we've all heard a story of the miracle on the Hudson with Captain Sullyberg, you know, taken off out of the airport, two engines on the plane, goose hit one, goose hit another one, bird took out the engines, and he had to make split-second decisions on how to land that plane, and he did on the Hudson, a water landing, no power, turning it, Lining it up, everything he had to do perfectly because he had made habits in how to react to situations. He had practiced it and practiced it and practiced it so many times it was second nature to him. And shouldn't we do the same thing as Christians? Understanding our character. Practice, practice, practice. Think about it, understand it. So when we do come into that situation... We know exactly what to do. Isn't that what a Christian is supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to be a bigger family than other things out there? And so if our purpose, or God's purpose for us to become more Christ-like with the Holy Spirit and the building of His character within us, how do we become more obedient in Him and to Him? First, through prayer. Right, We have to ask God to change us. To sweep out the old, to search our hearts. David prayed in the Psalms 139, 23, 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart. That's tough to do. You can ask it all day long, but can you submit yourselves to that? And we have to. We have to submit ourselves in being obedient to the point of God searching our hearts. And in our prayers, we should ask God for guidance on how to be more Christ-like. Right? If we bring it to, If we bring it to God... We need to be more Christ-like in it, not just like, Lord, hey, I need your help here. We should take our plans to him. You know, think about, think about uh, Joshua and Jericho here. They just crossed the Jordan. Here they are. God said, go forth. And they took it, marching around, 
the city. You know, they took it in a different way than anybody thought possible. But then what do they do? They turn around and try to take I, A-I, I. But they didn't consult God first. And there was some sin being carried by somebody in the camp, right? And what happened? It was a disaster. They didn't bring it to God. So when we have our goals looking at things... Did we bring a goal in a plan or anything to God first? Do we even know what our goal is outside of walking with Jesus? Do we know? In our prayer, there's really three things that we need to pray for in transforming our character. Number one. Help me aim at the right goal, Lord. I don't know what the right goal is other than I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to have that relationship with you. How can I make that happen? How can I get there, Father? How can I get there, Jesus? Help me aim at the right goal. Number two... Jesus, help me to figure out the steps needed for that goal. We have the goal. How do we make it a reality? Number three, Father, make these steps a habit, a matter of second nature. Make it a second nature. That's Christian character, how we learn to behave and respond in all those situations. But what are we really asking God to do here? Transform us. We're not asking for a change in habits that would look like justification by works. No. No, we know that. But what we're here asking for is to be renewed day by day. Walking by faith, not by sight. We're asking God to rewire our brain to think like Christ does. Because we've come through a world, and we may not even realize it being young or even older. It doesn't matter if you're 7 or 70, you have to rewire your brain here. Because we've been exposed to different things. And we have thought certain ways. We're asking Him to rewire our brain to think like Christ does. We're asking that Christ be glorified in us and in how we live our daily lives. Because it's a day-by-day thing here. It's not a Sunday and a Sunday. Second, we need tools and guidance. And the most important tool is the Bible. Right? Most important tool is the Bible. Everything we need comes from here. We know that God's Word is true. And His promises are true, and they come to be. Not only for all time, but for us individually, and how we can learn more about God's Word other than just reading it. Because we have to think about that. Do we just read it? Remember the story of the man sitting in the army barracks reading the Bible? Yeah, he read it quite a bit. He was immersed in it for hours on end. 
but we need to learn more. He wasn't willing to go out beyond just reading. He wasn't willing to be bold enough. It's Bible studies. We, I think we all know that. We have some good Bible studies and connection groups here, right? But it's more than, I think, just once a week. I will pick up a study and hear, or hear somebody talk about something. I believe it is more than just a Sunday or a Wednesday or both. I believe it's a daily thing we need to be immersed in. I believe that's what God wants for us. Jesus wants for us is to be in his word day by day, right? And I believe it needs to be focused, not just with a group of people or with one person, but with a group of people. Because really what Christianity is not a solitary religion, no matter how much we think about it. Remember the man in the barracks? It was a solitary religion for him. He didn't want anybody to know. John Wesley viewed connection to other Christians in community as essential to maintaining faith and growing in spiritual maturity and reaching others with the life-changing news, life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that even though the Holy Spirit is working in us, and we have a personal relationship with Jesus. The learning of Scripture and Christian behaviors is most in most people's lives are worked out in relationships. And Christian relationships work. When we come together to encourage others and maintain accountability. Ooh. Let me put it this way. When you, can feel vic- when you feel convicted by God to do something... Do you tell a friend? Do you tell your spouse if you're married? Do you tell your parents, whoever? But do you tell a friend? Man, the Lord has convicted me of this. He, has, I believe the, I believe Father has called me to do this crazy action. No matter what it is, big or small. But do you tell a friend? Because you know what, you can't grow on your own. I think we know that. No matter what, we can't grow on our own. Trees can't grow without water, right? And land. You need a community. You need fellowship and you need accountability. I think the accountability is something we normally forget about. It's like I can come here, I can sit and listen, I can be good one day. But can I be accountable throughout the week? That's where your Christian character comes into play. Because God will work through others to help you mature. Hebrews 10, 25 or 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I have a little bit more to say about Bible study. But what I really wanted to do is think about it. Am I studying the Bible enough in a focused way? You know, I don't have to be a leader. 
I need to be a little bit more, though. That's the self-introspection thing we have to look at. But I do believe we need to commit ourselves to Jesus more than just on a Sunday and maybe a Wednesday. Something else we need to do, one of our tools, is talk with church leaders. You know, they are here to equip us for today. They are here to help us grow in Christ. They're not here to perform for us, no matter how we look at a in this consumer-driven generation we're in, in the marketplace. Our pastoral staff is awesome. I mean, like we were singing earlier, awesome. They are here and will equip us with what we need to do. With our questions, they will bring us forward. You know, sometimes just speaking to one of the church staff, Pastor Lynn, Pastor Derek, Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg. Just talking to him. Where can I need? What can I read? Where can I go? What can I study? Because we're in the community of fellowship here, right? And I'm sure they would be more than willing to help us because, like I said, they're here to equip us, not to perform for us. But lastly, we need to be committed. It's possible for something God intended to be fruitful to end up being totally unproductive. Go do this for me. And we don't. God intends for us to bear much fruit and we are on a journey in our walk with Jesus. And you know what? It's a marathon and we've all heard that. And I believe we've all said that, that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. But do you really understand it and believe it? Because it is. It is. Take it to heart. It's a marathon. But let me bring this to a close here, okay? James, talking about him earlier in the story, what am I here for? What do I do next? Was looking for understanding of what now, what am I here for? You know, and we think about James and whatever happened to him. The book, the story came out of, doesn't say. It doesn't say what happened to him. It doesn't have an answer. But we do know that the transformation at the end of time has already begun in Jesus. And I believe with James, that happened. I believe with him, he looked for a transformation in Jesus. He wanted to know more than just, what am I here for? He came to believe and truly practice being a Christian. One word with a lot of power in it is Christian. But we must understand that the transformation of character is a result of the steps we take, which lead us to our goal... And a goal set by God himself. Because we don't need to wait for death to experience.
salvation, eternity starts now, right? And the aim of the Christian life is in the present time, is the goal you're meant to be aiming at once you have come to faith. The goal that is within reach, even in the present life, anticipating the final life to come. What is that goal? Of a life fully formed, fully flourishing, intentional Christian. Being remade in the image God intends for us and to be intentional in seeking to grow and to deepen our faith, right? That's where we're supposed to go. That's what we're supposed to do. What am I here for? I'm here to grow as a Christian. And I believe there are people here, just like James, that ask that question. What am I here for? I believe there are people just like that man in the army who wanted more but didn't know how to get there. I believe there are some here that desire to truly have their relationship with Jesus. That want to take those steps. That want to make that prayer at this time. Can I get you all to stand real quick, please? And bow your heads. I just want to give the opportunity for if you are desiring to know more about God, to make that conscious decision towards Jesus, to make that prayer of what am I here for? What goals do I need to do? To step forward at this time to come and pray to the Father to be convicted in what we do. I believe the Lord really does look out for us. And we all know that. We each have a plan for our lives and do our plans line up with God's. Let's pray. Lord, today... We thank you for coming together and being able to fellowship with you, God. We thank you for looking down upon us and pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us, breathing the Holy Spirit upon, Lord. And we know at this time that you have a plan for us, God. And we pray, Lord, we pray that you're able, which we know you can, and we receive your Holy Spirit, Lord, in guiding us and where you want to take us, Lord. We pray for you, Lord. We pray in your name. We call upon your name, God. We call upon your name, Jesus, to make us more than what we are, to build us in that Christian character that you so desire for us, the goodness, Lord. We pray for this. Oh, Lord, what we need is a revival, Father, 
We need your spirit, Lord, to lead us forth in everything. And we thank you, God, for everything you have done for us at this time. And we thank you, Lord, on what you are doing for us and what you will do for us, Lord. For you are the revelation, Jesus. You are the word that walked on earth for me, that carried everything for me. And I pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.